Lord, you are the word made flesh, and we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you might be present and walk among your people, feeding, healing, and raising the dead. Bless us with your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So our man Peter is back again this week. You'll recall that Peter was once a failure. He was Jesus' right-hand man, but denied him, then ran away when the going got tough. But then, after an encounter with the risen Christ, Peter's filled with bravery and boldness, spreading the message of God's love and forgiveness all over, even under the threat of imprisonment and punishment. This week, however, he's defending himself to his friends, to the church, to his fellow Jewish Christians. Now, it says, now the apostles and believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, why did you go to circumcised men and eat with them? Why did you go to circumcised men and eat with them? Now, it sounds a little bit unfair to choose your dinner companions based on a particular surgical procedure. But it's more than that. Circumcised and uncircumcised here are cultural terms. Circumcised means those who follow the law of Moses, the way of life given in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And the uncircumcised are those who don't, also known as Gentiles. If you follow the law, you're spiritually clean. If you don't, you're spiritually unclean. You're impure. You're polluted. And the worst part is, it's contagious. It sounds backwards, of course, but it's kind of like when kids play with other kids who just seem to get them into trouble. We'll say that those kids are a bad influence. We're worried that our kids are going to catch those other kids' behavior. And spiritual uncleanliness is like that. It's a spiritual bad influence. It rubs off on you if you hang around with the wrong people. And before you know it, you're eating ham and you're oppressing widows and orphans. It goes that fast. One bad apple could ruin the lot, really. So even though Peter may have been doing good, the church is worried that in rubbing shoulders and befriending people like this over a meal, he might become like them. And if he becomes like them, it could bring down the whole good thing of this new and growing church that's practicing God's love and mercy and peace together. He could bring the whole thing down if he's not careful. So that's why Peter's in trouble. He's in trouble, and when you're in trouble, you've got to defend yourself. After all, Peter's jeopardizing the peace and harmony of the community. He better have something to say. 
And you know what's going to be good when somebody says, let me tell you about this dream I had. He was fasting and praying one day, it says, and he went into a trance. And he had this vision, like Ingrid illustrated so well for us. There was this blanket being lowered from heaven, and the blanket was wriggling, it says, with four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I mean, I sort of imagine that it's chock full of stuff like pigs, raccoons, snakes, and vultures. The sheet touches down, and Peter hears God speak. Get up, God says. Get up, Peter. Go and eat. It's the worst picnic setting ever. I mean, for Peter, it's not just gross it's, or weird. It's both of those. It's all spiritually unclean. The law says you can't touch this stuff, or you'll spiritually compromise yourself. And Peter's a righteous guy. He follows the law, so he says to God, no, nah, no chance. Haven't done it yet. Never going to do it now. No way. And really, he's just following God's prior orders given in the Torah. He's just following God's orders, but then God issues a new order to Peter in this dream. What God has made clean, God says, you must not call profane. So grab that raccoon, Peter, and go to town. The dream happened three times, he says. He wasn't quite sure what it was about. I mean, I love how Peter knows that there was more to this dream than permission to, like, saute sewer rats or to, like, you know, spit roast a Komodo dragon or something, although that would be awesome. The dream didn't make sense at first, but then he thought, i got to pay attention to this because this is too weird not to. Three times and too weird. Then he says, the doorbell rang. The doorbell rang, and there are these three unclean Gentiles hanging out on the porch. And finally, the dream sort of fell into place for him. The spirit, he says, the spirit told me to go with them and to not make a distinction between us. Long story short, Peter says it led him to a house where a Gentile named Cornelius lived, and there Cornelius explained to him that he too had a dream, one where he was to send for a man named Peter who would share with him life-changing news for him and his family. And so I begin to speak, Peter says. I began to speak and the Holy Spirit just fell on all of them. God was thick in the room. And Peter was sharing the message of God's love for all, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, and God's grace for all people in Jesus Christ. And so the light goes off in Peter's head. And he realizes the dream wasn't about eating unclean food at all, although that's probably disappointing for some of you. You're like, oh, I've been really thinking about that alligator meat I've had in my freezer. Go ahead and eat. Go fine, yeah. But it was about hanging out with unclean people. It was about not making a distinction between us and them. 
God led me to cross this boundary, Peter says, so Cornelius and his family could receive the same acceptance and transformation that I've been given and that each of us here has been given. If then God gave them the same gift he gave us, Peter says, who was I to hinder God? Who was I to get in God's way? You see, Peter thought that goodness, that holiness, that spiritual maturity were things that we cultivate by not exposing ourselves to bad, unholy, or spiritually immature people. That the spiritual life is all about preserving our own purity before God. But then he came to the realization that it actually got in the way of God's work in the world. Who am I to hinder God? And like Peter, this is, of course, the consistent temptation of the church and Christians in any day to see the Jesus way of something we keep and cultivate for ourselves to make sure that we get right with God and that's all that matters in the end. At best, we've thought that we've got to keep people who we see as unclean away until they get everything right. And the church's history with gays and lesbians is probably the most obvious example with the language of dirty or impure applied with zeal. It's the temptation of the church, which is ironic for Christians because if it weren't for this episode with Peter and Cornelius, we'd all still be on the other side of that fence, still unclean Gentiles if Peter hadn't taken the risk. I'm sure God could have found another way, but this is the way God did it. It's a risk for the church, but truth be told, it's a temptation for everyone because it's human. This is how we operate. I'm actually glad that Christopher Bates is here with the Eureka Club because he knows what it's like to serve people who struggle with mental illness, people who are off so often fenced off and treated as unclean, as dangerous to the rest of us. And some of our most, I mean, you sort of notice that most recently, some of our most intense boundaries now are political ones. Whether it's those rednecks who don't share our progressive political views on climate change, gender-free washrooms, or, God help us, Donald Trump. Or it's those airy-fairy New Agers who don't have any respect for our traditions and can't seem to put any boundaries on their spoiled kids. We have our own purity codes. We may not be worried about eating snakes or whether our dinner companions are circumcised or not, but we do have our own purity codes where we seal ourselves off from unclean ideologies and ways of living out of the fear that they might rub off on us. And we feel righteous about it because it's our natural instinct. It's our default setting as a species. But the Spirit showed Peter that following Jesus is actually about taking risks that put our own purity at risk 
for the sake of drawing others in. For sharing God's love with other people who haven't experienced it yet, no matter how unclean they may seem to us or how unclean society says they are. The Apostle Paul says that Jesus, who was without sin, was made sin for our sake. That in Jesus, God himself put aside all glory, purity, and holiness to get down in the dirt and grime of human existence, taking on the brokenness of human life to heal it. God, who is the very definition of holiness, fears no unholiness, whether real or perceived. Which means that the only way that God heals and reconciles the world is by bringing together wildly different people under the love of God poured out for all in Jesus Christ. It's through busting down existing boundaries in love, not by throwing up new spiritual fences, by extending the table rather than taking select reservations. Because by Jesus Christ, all have been cleansed and made new. And the thing is that Cornelius was a good guy, and we kind of feel really good when it's like, oh, finally a good person can come and be brought in. The boundary's broken for them. But it goes, according to Acts, according to the gospel, it goes beyond just the good and the righteous too. There's a story that the great Baptist preacher and civil rights activist Will Campbell tells. He was attending the trial of Sam Bauer, former imperial wizard of the White Knights of Mississippi, one of the most violent cells of the Ku Klux Klan in the 60s. Campbell went to the trial to support the family of Vernon Dahmer, a black man who died standing in his burning house, firing away with a shotgun so his wife and children could get out. And Bowers was on trial for setting the fire. Campbell had known Bowers for years, so he went to the defense table. Campbell drew a lot of heat for approaching a monster like Bowers, let alone sitting with him and showing him compassion. I mean, there's nothing more unclean than an unrepentant white supremacist murderer. Campbell has switched sides, they said, worried that he had become one of them and caught the same bug of racism. When Bowers was being convicted, was convicted and being led away, Campbell says this. He says, I wanted to go back there and say goodbye to him, but they wouldn't let me. A guy who covered the South for the Boston Globe newspaper saw me standing there looking at Bowers and he said, what are you thinking? I said, I feel deep compassion for that man. Why, he asked. Why would you feel compassion for any man that brutal? I said, because he's a prisoner of the state, and Jesus admonished us to visit prisoners, no questions asked. The reporter said, 
Now I'm going to issue a language warning here. Not me. I, don't, I didn't say it. I'm just reporting to you what was said. The reporter said, I'm afraid I don't understand. Why extend this man the courtesy unless you're some kind of goddamn Christian? Well, I said, well, I guess I am some sort of a goddamn Christian. I'm not sure how things unfolded for ba with Bowers later on, whether he repented of his crime or his sin, but I do know, I do know that Campbell's Peter-like willingness to risk uncleanliness made repentance a possibility. It made salvation a possibility, even if Bowers didn't take it. Like Peter, he followed God's instruction to make no distinction. He risked his own spiritual purity and his own moral standing for the world. And he could have put so many relationships he had at risk, but he was some sort of a goddamn Christian in his words. So who was he to get in God's way? That's what happens when, like Peter, we're willing to follow the Spirit's leading. When we stop trying to maintain distinctions between clean and unclean, believer, unbeliever, sinner, saint, liberal, conservative, and on and on and on. When we get our own purity, our own need to maintain righteousness, out of God's way, by grace, we become like Peter, instruments of God's healing salvation for a world in such need. Because the Spirit is always drawing us outward. No matter who we see as unclean, in God's eyes, all from the righteous Corneliuses of the world to the wicked wizards of the KKK, all have been made clean and worthy, not by any identity that's held or accomplishment or merit earned, but purely by grace, by unconditional one-way love. Because if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who are we to hinder God? Who are we to get in God's way? So, brothers and sisters, may we let the Spirit drag us, whether willingly or kicking and screaming towards people and places we wouldn't normally touch with a ten-foot pole. And in doing so, may those who long, like Cornelius, to learn of God's love, may those who long to learn of God's love learn it through us. And may we, like Peter, come to know the height, depth, and wideness of God's mercy through them. Because who are we to hinder God? Amen.